you guys doing? Sub 30, everybody doing good? Everybody doing good? That's what I like to hear, man. Can we put our hands together for Jesus and just what he was doing in this environment during that incredible worship? You know, it is, it is such a, a privilege for me to be able to share with you. Maybe you guys, um, I haven't had an opportunity to meet any of you guys. My name is Keith. I'm one of the pastors here at Celebration Church. I have the honor and privilege of serving as the, the next-gen pastor. And this is my first time being in front of you guys for 2016. So I'm excited to be in front of you guys, man. This, I, I've, been, I've been stirring about this word for quite some time now. I've been praying about it. I've been praying for you guys. So I'm really excited. But I just got to show some love to my man, Pastor Clay. Um, he's not here tonight, but Pastor Clay had preached the weekend service. He preached on Saturday. He preached the services this morning. Can we put our hands together for our incredible sub-30 pastor, Pastor Clay? I'm sure he's checking us out um, at home online, man, along with our other online audience. Pastor Clay, we love you, we miss you, and we're looking forward to having you come back in a couple of weeks, man. But, but as, as, as Liz had alluded to, next week is Easter, and we're so excited about what this Easter season brings. We obviously know that statistically that people are open to coming to church around this season. There's, there's all about seasoning, and, and, and for some people, their, their hearts are open to, to being able to be open to coming to church. So this is a great opportunity to invest in that kindness week that you heard some announcements about to just do something when you go get some coffee. Whatever that looks like for you, just, just pay for the next person, leave a card inviting them to church, and you'd be amazed at what God can do with that. And so I want to say happy Palm Sunday to you guys. Can we put our hands together for Palm Sunday? Maybe you've been around the, the, the church for, for a while. Maybe you haven't. I'll give you some context around what the weight and, and, and what this night really does, what this week really does represent. See, Palm Sunday is, is, is the, the week when it's, it started off when Jesus was beginning his last week on earth, it's often referred to as the, his Passion Week. And what Palm Sunday is, it's that, it's that Sunday or that, that, that beginning of the week when Jesus came in and the crowd was so excited. They, they saw Jesus do some miracles. He was coming down from the Mount of Olives and they were saying, Hosanna, Lord save. They were calling out to Jesus because for a moment they recognized that he was potentially going to be the king. So they yelled out Hosanna. But interestingly enough, as, as we continue to look at the narrative of Jesus' life, the Passion Week actually means his week of suffering because not long after that, while he came down that mountain and everyone cried out, Lord save, we recognize you as king, you're riding on the, on the back of a donkey, like, yes, Lord save. They, they acknowledge these things, they head to palm trees, they laid out their coats before him to say that you can walk on the very things that we, that we used in order to, to survive. But interestingly enough, it didn't take long, if that were to take place on a Sunday, that by Friday they said crucify him and he was killed. A lot can happen in a couple of days. And so we celebrate this time of year because we're preparing for that. But, but when Jesus went through that process, when Jesus came down that mountain, they cried out, Hosanna. After he had done a couple of more miracles and he had some encounters, he prepared his, his disciples for the Last Supper. And we, we find ourselves at that place where um, he was betrayed. And here he is, it's the nighttime. And while he's at night and he's, he's praying, preparing himself for him to be this ultimate sacrifice, you know, the Bible tells us that, that, of course, Judas betrays him. He brings a bunch of men to come and arrest him at nighttime because they wanted to avoid the crowd because Jesus did have a strong following. But as a result of that, he goes from one trial to the next to the next. Jesus actually endured six trials. They were all illegal. But he endured all these trials so that people didn't understand what was going on. So by the time the light of day came, they had already recognized that he was convicted and condemned. So people just had no option but to go along with the momentum what was going on. And so the Bible tells us that he was beaten unrecognizably. His beard was literally ripped out of his face. He was spit upon. His mother wouldn't even have recognized him if she saw him. It was, it, was, it was one of the most brutal things you can imagine. 
And as you can imagine, with him going through such pain and suffering, with him losing so much blood, if you could just begin to research the way that he was whipped into the place that his bones were beginning to show through his skin, now they've, they've they condemned him as a criminal and they're saying, now it's time for you to be led to the place of the skull, Golgotha, Calvary. And so it's in this place where they place this beam on his shoulders. See, the cross is obviously these two parts. The long part was already at the location where he was gonna be crucified, but the beam was the thing they would place on the condemned criminal's shoulders. And so they would carry this beam, this heavy beam, and they would have to walk it through the community so that everybody could see the weight of pain. They could see the condemnation, the guilt. It was another way to just ridicule the person that's been condemned as a criminal. So Jesus, understandably, after he suffered and endured so much, after he's been condemned and they said, okay, finally, we're just gonna go ahead and let this guy be crucified, they placed this beam upon his shoulders. And as he begins his journey, he gets weak. He, he, he gets weak in his strength, and, and the Bible says that he couldn't go any further with carrying the beam on his own. And so they identified a man that was in a the crowd. They, they, they looked around and they found a man in a crowd to help Jesus with this. And I, I wanna preach from this narrative, a super, a super short scripture, but I believe it will give us some perspective about our calling. If you have your Bibles, I wanna invite you to turn to the Gospel of Mark, the 15th chapter. We're gonna look at verse 21. And again, to give you some context, Jesus has already been beaten, he's been brutalized, he's exhausted at this point. So they've identified to see who can we get to help him with the rest of his journey because obviously the people who've condemned her are not gonna carry the cross. And so the Bible tells us in Mark, the 15th chapter, verse 21, it says this, it says, then they compelled a certain man, somebody say certain man. Simon, a Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus, and as he was coming out of the country and passing by to bear his cross. Super, super short. So short we have enough time to, to read it again. Then they compelled a certain man, Simon the Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus, and as he was coming out of the country and passing by to bear his cross. This man, Alexander, was just, or this man, Simon, was just on his way doing his thing. But today he had this interesting encounter that will radically change the rest of his life. Today I wanna to encourage you to take notes and, I'm, and I'm, I'm excited to preach to you on the subject of what I call the bystander. Let's pray. Heavenly Father God, we, we thank you so much, Lord, for your word. God, we thank you for your grace and your mercy, God, allowing us to, to once again spend time in your presence, God. Father, I pray over the next few moments, Lord God, that you give us a clarity of perspective. Father, I pray that you give us wisdom, Father. I pray that you give us focus. Lord, I pray for open eyes that, that we can see you in areas that we haven't seen you before. Lord, I pray for open ears that we can hear your voice in areas that we thought you were silent. And God, I pray for open hearts that we can receive the gospel of your truth, even in areas where we've been lied to and maybe we've developed calluses. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen and amen. The bystander. I remember several years ago, I was, I was probably about six years ago, if, if my, my memory serves correctly. Um, it was a really long week. It was before I came on staff here at Celebration Church, and I've been working really, really hard this particular week. I mean, it was, it was such a long, laborious week. I had tons of meetings, working late at night a, a whole lot. And so you ever like have weeks that are so busy, that are just so exhausting, that you're looking forward to the weekend just so you can sleep? Like it was one of those deals where I was just like, Lord, I just can't wait for Friday to come so I could just be done and I could just go to sleep and just sleep for the next two days. Like I was so exhausted and looking forward to this. 
So when I get home on, on Friday and, and I spend time with my family, we do the whole deal, but I'm like looking forward to going to sleep. I go up the steps, my wife and I are talking, I'm like, hey honey, I, I love you, but let's talk in two days after I kind of come out of my mind, out of my mind or hibernation. Isn't it interesting how people want to have a lot of conversation when you're the most exhausted? She still does this to this day. I love you, honey. She'll probably do it tonight. I'll be exhausted tonight. She'll be like, hey, honey, and guess what? I'm like, uh-huh. Yep, you're right. But that's, that's just how it is. Like, I mean, I'm exhausted at this point. I have, like, nothing left to give. So as I'm, as I'm laying in my bed, and I can just remember, like, that moment when sleep really began to settle in deep, and I was out. I'm talking about, like, out cold. I'm talking, like, slobbering, snoring type sleep. Like, it was, it was like, deep in my spirit type sleep. So as I'm, as, I'm, as I'm resting, like just, just out of it altogether, it's, it's a dark night, it's, the windows are up in our home, so the breeze is coming in, it's a cool night. But interestingly enough, while I'm in this deep sleep, knocked out cold, I'm awakened by my sleep, by this sound. Imagine me being completely unconscious and hearing this sound as if it was in my living room. It woke me up, my heart rate had increased. I, I, I woke up, I was, I was terrified, quite honestly. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know if someone was to my, had crashed into my home. I, I didn't know what was going on. And, 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 and quite naturally, my wife jumps up first and I'm, I'm still trying to come out of my, my coma. But my wife goes out to the window because the way that our window was situated, you could actually see the front of our neighborhood. So I'm, I'm, I'm still disoriented, but my wife is already there and she's looking at me and she's like, honey, we need to, we need to go outside, something, something bad has happened. And as I, as I hear her saying these words to me, I'm, I'm still coming out of my fog. She's like, you know, we need to go outside, like something really bad has happened, we, we need to go. And I could see smoke in the distance. And if I could be honest with you, when she's like, we need to go outside, immediately my mind began to kind of process every scary movie that I've ever seen where people of color have gone to investigate sound. <laughs> They don't make it back. I'm like, I know that we're in the suburbs. I know that we're in a nice community, but I've seen how this plays out too many times. How about if we just call somebody and let them do their jobs? That's, that's how I was gonna go about doing it. I might still be able to get back to sleep in the next 45 minutes. That was the way that I was processing it. But my wife, who has such compassion, she's like, no, honey, we need to, we need to go out. We need to go and check and see what's going on. So I reluctantly, I reluctantly get up. And as I get myself together, we, we go outside of the home and we get into our car, we begin to come around the bend of our neighborhood. You could just see the smoke coming up. You could just see the smoke. And as we come outside of our, our front entrance, as we come around the corner, I could see this car that had crashed into this light pole that's right outside of our neighborhood. It had hit the pole with such impact that it was uprooted from the concrete and the car was wrapped around it as if it was aluminum or foil. One of my neighbors had already been on the scene and another one of our neighbors that was in the neighborhood had already been on the phone with first responders. So as I walk up, completely disoriented, not having a clue of what to do, like just feeling completely lost, but standing here in this scene with this horn blaring in my ears, I, I felt completely helpless. I, I felt much like a, just a bystander. Something inside of me said, just, just go up and have a conversation with this young man. He had hit the, the pole with such power that the seat had got dislodged from where it was and he was literally laying in the back seat at this time. So as I come up and I'm standing at the back window, my first neighbor was trying his best to administer CPR, just trying to figure out where was the blood coming from. 
as I began to look in the window and just have conversations, I just, I didn't feel very hopeful. Sometimes you have those moments where it's like, you just want to pray for somebody, but I just, it just didn't look good. So as I looked down at this young man and I had nothing else to say, I said, Hey man, I just want to let you know that, that, that you're not alone, that, 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 that help is on the way. And I could see that he, he, he acknowledged what I was saying. And I felt something inside of me said, you need to ask him if he knows Jesus. It's, it's in this moment that I, that I looked down at him. I said, Hey man, like, do you, do you know Jesus? And, and he couldn't speak at the time, but his eyes told me that, no, I don't. And you can see this fear and this terror in his face. As he was looking at me, recognizing probably that he was in his last moments, I, I felt, I was like, hey man, like, I didn't have enough time to get into it. I just said, man, I wanna let you know that Jesus loves you. Would you like for me to pray for Jesus, for Jesus to come into your heart? The only words that he was able to speak was yes. He said yes. In that moment, I, I prayed with him. And it wasn't a very long, thought-out prayer. It wasn't a very powerful, passionate prayer. It was a prayer that was, that was rooted in, in fear and concern, not knowing what the next steps were gonna be, but I, I prayed that Jesus would come into his heart. The minute that I said amen, his central nervous system had begun to shut down and he died as the ambulance had arrived at the scene. It was something that, it still haunts me to this day. It's still something that's in my mind to this day when I think about the fact that when this young man got up, he had no intentions of that being his last moments on earth. When that man began his journey for that day, he had no idea that this would be the day that he would be standing in the presence of God. And yet, here God was in his infinite abilities allowed me to be a part of something that I'm gonna remember for the rest of my life. You know, when I think about what the definition of what a bystander is, it means to be present at an event or an incident, but not taking part. It means to be present at an event or an incident, but not taking part. And the truth of the matter is, I think a lot of us, if we really were to think about it, there are a lot of events and incidents that we're present for, but a lot of times we just don't take part in it. There's times where we may see people stranded on the road and the truth of the matter is you may wanna help them, but because we live in a world where it's just so many unknowns and how messy it could potentially get, you're saying to yourself, man, like somebody else, somebody else will take care of that. I remember being uh, on vacation with my family once, and I, we came in and I, I literally saw a, a couple arguing. It looked like it was about to be domestic violence. And as I'm sitting here looking at this incident happen right in front of me, my instinct was to say, okay, Keith, you need to get involved. But then also I was thinking like, hey man, listen, like we're in Florida, so you know, they shoot first. So you wanna think through whether or not you, you wanna, you know, I'm just calling, I'm just telling you like it is. So I had to think through, do I really wanna go up and approach this situation and ask this woman, is she gonna be okay? Or is this gonna turn into something that's gonna be super messy? And do I, am I really prepared for what the repercussions could be? I kinda hung out into the area until it all dissolved, so I, I, I didn't leave, but I'm telling you, I, I didn't feel compelled to jump in the middle of that situation because it gets messy. See, I, I feel like there's times in our lives where we can all be bystanders at times. And, and the most challenging thing is when we feel like we're bystanders in our own lives. Again, we're present at an incident or an event, but we don't get involved. And the truth of the matter is there's many times in our own lives where events or incidents happen to us, but we don't feel like we're in any control. There's events and things that happen to us and we don't have an adequate response. Have you ever felt like you were a bystander in your own life? Where you're just watching from a third person perspective for a moment and you're just looking at the pain and suffering but you don't even know how to get involved to fix your own situation so you're just a bystander just watching it all unfold. Yeah. We all have been there and when I think about this man Simon, 
When I think about the life that, that he lives and I look at the, the narrative of the scripture of what it reveals about him, he didn't get up that day thinking that he would be carrying the cross of Jesus, as many of us didn't think of it. You know, there's something interesting that's introduced to us with this particular passage of scripture. You know, you have to really dig closely. But what the Bible says, it makes an interesting statement about Simon. It says that he was a certain man, a certain man, a, Sir, a Cyrenian Simon. We're gonna do a quick English lesson real quick. It says that he was a certain man. See, here's what the definition of certain is. Certain means this, it means able to firmly be relied on. He was a certain man. But there's also a, another definition for certain that's out there, and it's this one that says, specifically but not explicitly named. Now, when you really break that down, they're actually opposing things if you think about it. Let me give you an example. Someone could say, I am certain that I will be at sub 30 tonight. That's firmly be, be relied upon. That's like basically saying, that's my faith, I'm gonna definitely be there. But on the flip side of that, I could also say, I was at sub 30 and a certain person yelled out. The other rendering is there was obviously a specific person, but I'm not sure exactly who it was. There's two different renderings. So depending on the way that the sentence is structured, it lets you know whether or not it's the certain that's unclear or if it's a certain that's very specific. Here's where it gets good. What we learn about this whole narrative of being certain is the Bible said that there was a certain man and then it gives us his name, which basically means that it's using what we call an attributive adjective. I told you we're gonna learn some English today. Y'all didn't know that y'all came to learn about Jesus in English, but watch this. It's an attributive adjective and what that means is whenever there's an adjective that is defining the attributes of a person, that is actually creating the definition for their character. Watch this. So now when we look at the passage of scripture and it says that he was a certain man, Simon, what it's saying is he was a man who was full of certainty. He was a man who was full of faith. He was a man who was full of boldness. He was a man who was full of awareness. He was a man who knew what his purpose in God was. He was a man that had confidence and recognition of what his calling and things in life was. I wonder if when the enemy looks into the crowd of our lives, if we're gonna look back at him with the eyes of certainty or we're gonna to begin to shy away as if a boxer who isn't prepared for the fight. See, when the enemy looked into the crowd and saw Simon, he saw the eyes of certainty looking back at him. I wonder what would happen if we began to walk with a certain type of walk. Not a walk that's unclear, but a certain that says I'm confident and knowledgeable about who I am in Christ Jesus. There's a different perspective when you walk with the walk of certainty. What's interesting about this whole narrative is the Bible says that it's a certain man and then it says his name is Simon, which means that before his name is revealed, his character is established. Mm. I believe in my life and I believe in the lives of all of us that we struggle with our identity because we're not certain about the one who's called us in the first place. It's interesting how when you're certain about the one who calls you, how it gives you a sense of peace of who you are. When you're certain about who God is, it has a tendency to change the perspective of how you see yourself in the midst of the deepest and depths of your situation. You see, if I'm certain about the things of God, then I absolutely are clear about the things regarding myself because certainty brings clarity about who you are. So the enemy loves to challenge our understanding of the things of God so that way we don't have clarity about who we are. I'm reminded of the man Moses. And when Moses had his encounter with God in Exodus the third chapter, the Bible tells us that he said, who shall I say is sending me? In other words, Moses was asking for clarity about the God who was putting him into service. And God's response was, you need to tell them that I am, that I am sent you. What he was saying is, I will be what you need me to be. If you need me to be your deliverer, then that's what I'll be. If you need me to be your healer, then that's what I'll be. I am what you need me to be. So what ends up happening is, 
Hold on, wait a minute. Save that clap. It's going to get better. Give me a minute. Give me one more minute. It's going to get better. So watch this. In Exodus 14, after the children of Israel have been set free, after they've been let go of the, from Egypt, and they get to the place where they're standing at the borders of the Red Sea, and they're not sure what their next steps are going to be, so they're standing here, they're afraid the enemy is coming from behind them, but then Moses begins to tap into what he knew that God said, that I will be what you need me to be. So he told the children of Israel, stand still and see the salvation of God. If you could just stand still and be reminded that God will be what you need him to be when you're in the moments of your brokenness and fear. It's interesting how when we just know that God is going to be who he says he's going to be, how it has a sense of giving us peace. If I know that God is Jehovah Shalom, then I know that I can experience peace. If I know that he is Jehovah Jireh, my provider, then in the midst of my situation, I know that I'm provided for. If I know that he is Jehovah, my banner, then I know that there's no weapon formed against me that shall prosper. Imagine if we lived a life where we began to live life as if God was the answer instead of a multiple choice. I believe that the problem with many of us in our walk with God is that we look at Jesus as an option instead of the solution. So when we find ourselves in a situation, we begin to look and see, what are my options here? But this is not a multiple choice, this is fill in the blank. We need to fill in the blank areas of our lives with the name of Jesus. I don't know what I'm gonna do in this situation, but I'm gonna be filling it in with the name of Jesus. I don't know what to do with this sickness, but I'm gonna fill in the blank with Jesus. I don't know what to do with this thing in my marriage, but I'm gonna fill in that blank with Jesus. It's amazing how when we have clarity about who God is, it reveals a lot about us. Yeah. See, the man Simon, he was a certain man. He was a man that was filled with confidence. He was a man that was filled with boldness. Here's what I've learned when we look at the life of this, that if we are certain about God, he will certainly use us. Amen. When we're certain about God, he will certainly use us. You see, he was on this journey, Simon was, and as he was on his journey, moving his way from one environment to the next, the text tells us that he was just passing by. Oh, this is, this is so powerful. It says that he was just passing by. Let me give you a definition of what it means to, to be passing by as it relates to the text. It means to render unapparent to virtually be invisible. This is the description that's used for Simon. I want you to understand that, that Simon was at a place where he was just passing by, that he was just passing by, virtually invisible, on the same path, on the same journey, doing the same things that he's done over and over again. I'm not sure if you've ever been in a place or a season of your life where you just felt that things were just passing you by. Have you ever been in a season of your life where you're looking at your friends moving forward and you just feel like your opportunities are passing you by? You ever look in the mirror and see the gray hairs, come on, I'm talking to myself, and feel like things are just passing by? You're saying to yourself, like, I haven't accomplished everything that I thought that God was going to do in my life, and I feel like my window of opportunity is just passing me by. Have you ever looked in the mirror and said to yourself, I'm not married yet, and I feel like it's passing me by? I haven't given birth to any children yet, and I feel like my biological clock is ticking, and it's just passing me by. Look at how old I am. Do you realize that when my friend was this old, he planted a church? I haven't planted a church. My window of opportunity is passing me by. I was, I'm raised in the, the 90s, and I remember there was this, this group called The Far Side, and they had this song called Passing Me By. Anybody know anything about that? And the words of the song was, she keeps on passing me by. <laughs> and it's a song with these guys singing about their opportunity with the female that they had interest in, just passing them by. And there was one line in particular at the, at the end of the last verse where he said he finally mustered up the strength, the heart, to write her a letter, and he sent it to her and then it came back, returned to sender. Mm. Ow. After all this time, 
of building up the confidence to finally write the letter and express how you feel, it came back returned to sender. What I want to know is, have you ever felt that you prayed some prayers and they were returned to sender? As if God has never responded back to them just yet. You're wondering, did God, did you even hear what I prayed? God, did you even see me in the midst of this situation? Lord, do you even understand that I'm broken and that I'm struggling? God, do you even care about the circumstance that I find myself in the middle in? Have you ever felt that your situation has been returned to sender? The Bible tells us that Simon was just on the same path, doing the same thing over and over, but today was a little bit different because Jesus was there. I want to let you know that the path of destiny is paved with consistency. You may be in a place right now where you feel like you're doing the same thing over and over again, and as a result of that, you're feeling like maybe you need to reposition yourself. But I can tell you that the greatest illusion is that there's something better for you if you haven't left the place that you're at better than when you came. If you can just be faithful to where you are. I'm reminded of the woman at the well. In the Gospel of Luke, the fourth chapter, the Bible tells us, excuse me, John, the fourth chapter, the Bible tells us that this woman had been on this path over and over again. Every day she would go to this well at the exact same time. And on this particular day, she shows up and she sees this little Jewish man there. And she could have easily said, I'm not going to go up there. I'm not going to go and talk to him. I just don't want to be, I don't even want to be around him because she was coming at a time where she could avoid the most people. But nonetheless, she shows up at the scene on the same path, passing by, doing what she always does. But today, she had an encounter with Jesus that radically changed the rest of her life, and she ultimately became an evangelist for her entire community. It's amazing how when we're faithful to the place that God has called us to be, how God will use that to pave the way of destiny. I don't know where you are right now. I don't know what the environment that God has you in. And maybe you feel compelled that you need to run or to go away or to reposition yourself, but just be faithful. Autograph your work with excellence. Everything that you do, you're doing it unto the Lord anyway. Don't run away from it. Just be consistent with the place that God has called you in. If you could just recognize that time is not passing you by, but God is ordaining time so that when you find yourself at the right place, at the right time, you're gonna have an encounter with Jesus. And though you may have been there yesterday, and though you may have been there last week, but Jesus is there today. And if you could just be faithful and show up and do your due diligence and See what God does as a result of it. The path of destiny is paved with consistency. The Bible tells us that Simon was coming in on the same path over and over again, and he has this encounter with Jesus. What happens now is something that I'm pretty sure all of us can relate to, because now that he's passing through the crowd, he's coming in from the field, doing what he always does, he pushes through the crowd. He, he's, he's navigating the way through all the confusion. He sees all the, the chaos. Now, understand it was Passover, so it was understandable for it to be a very crowded season. But even though he was going through all of this stuff, he pushes his way through the front, and he sees this man brutalized and, 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 and suffering. And somehow, they lock eyes with him and say, we want you to finish the rest of the journey and carry the cross for him. I can imagine that for Simon, this is something that was like, what did I do? Because here's the truth. Today, we look at the cross as a symbol of victory. We look at the cross as this monumental statement that explains that I put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But, but can I tell you that back then, there was nothing attractive about the cross. The reality is it would be the equivalent of us wearing electric chairs around our necks right now. It'd be the equivalent of us tattooing that on our skin. That's what the cross represented. It represented a, a brutal, just, just horrible death. So when, when Simon has this thing placed upon his shoulders, I want you to understand, like, it was, a symbol of, it was a symbol of suffering. It was a symbol of pain. It was a symbol of persecution. It meant to bring condemnation. 
And so here Simon is, he finds himself in an environment where he just shows up, he's doing what he'd been diligently was told to do, and now he has this weight of condemnation placed upon his shoulders. Have you ever felt like you were just passing by and now you've got something so detrimental placed into your lap? Some pain or some suffering, a setback that you didn't anticipate, but nonetheless it falls in your lap. I don't know if, that, if I'm talking to anybody today, but it just comes out of nowhere, where it just seems as if it hits you like a blind spot. Simon, who was on his journey, has his dropped into his lap, and he's looking at the condemnation. He's looking at the guilt. He's looking at the ridicule. But I, I want to encourage you with something that Scripture says in Colossians, the second chapter. Verse 14 and 15, it says this, is having wiped out the, the handwriting requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made them a public spectacle, triumphing over them. Let me explain to you what's going on here. What the Bible says is that even though the cross was meant to be an object that elevated suffering and pain and ridicule and shame, what the text is telling us is that Jesus, he died for that shame and ridicule and suffering. So though we may carry the cross, Jesus paid the cost. So even though we may have some things in our lives and the mantle that God has placed on our lives, it's for us to understand that whatever that ridicule, whatever that shame, whatever that suffering, whatever that persecution that the enemy is trying to place on your shoulders, that was nailed to the cross. And the Bible said that he did it so openly that he did it in such a way that to embarrass the enemy. It's amazing how when we can take the mantle that God has placed on our shoulders, and if we could just elevate Jesus in the midst of it, that he can use that to bring people to his glory. It's amazing how we can take the setbacks and struggles that we have in life, and God is able to elevate himself in the midst of that situation and how people can get saved as a result of it. I don't know what the setback is that you're experiencing. I don't know what your struggle is, but what I can let you know that if you can just elevate Jesus in the midst of it, he will draw all men to you because there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I want to be encouraged in this. I'm reminded by what Paul writes in the book of Romans, the eighth chapter, and it says this, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Can I let you know that whatever you're going through is not worthy to be compared with the things that God is developing inside of you? Let me say it again. The things that you're going through is not worthy to be compared to the things that God is developing on the inside of you. It's just your glory being developed. Do you know what glory means? Glory means weight. Glory means influence. Glory means power. So I want you to turn to somebody and say, you're picking up some weight. You're picking up a little bit of weight. I can see that you're picking up some weight, but I'm not talking about weight in the wrong way. I'm talking about the weight of influence. I'm talking about the weight of power. I'm talking about the weight of anointing. The Bible says that the things that you're going through is not worthy to be compared with the things that God is developing in you. I'm reminded of when a woman is going through labor. See, she goes through a season where she goes through the trimesters. She goes through the pain, and then she goes through delivery. But when she gives birth, the pain of all the things in the past, it means nothing compared to the life that was birthed as a result of it. I don't know what you're pregnant with. I don't know what the anointing they call on your life is. I don't know what God has deposited on the inside of you. But what I can tell you is that what God is developing on the inside of you is not worthy to be compared to the thing that you're going through right now. I don't think about my pain in the past as some kind of staple of things that I haven't got through. Your scars are a reflection of what you survived, not the place where you died. You overcame it. You have the anointing of God on your life. You can absolutely overcome it. See, you, you may carry a cross, but Jesus paid the cost. What, is that, what does that mean in our modern context? It simply means this. My cross may be to elevate Jesus in the areas of my discomfort and watch what he does as a result of it. I don't know what the cross is at your home. I don't know what the cross is at your job. I don't know what the cross is in your relationship, but I know that there's a weight to it. But what's gonna happen as a result of it, when you elevate Jesus in the midst of it and you deny yourself 
and you allow him to draw people as a result of the way that you walk through that. It's amazing how God can bring salvation and healing and victory through it because the way that we carry the cross, it really does matter. I'm gonna, I wanna close with this. I wanna invite the worship team to come back out. The passage makes a very interesting statement as it begins to explain some things about Simon and his life. What the passage says is, Simon, Cyrenian, comma, the father of Rufus and Alexander. Come on, how was the last time you met somebody named Rufus? <laughs> you know what I mean? It says, Rufus and Alexander. Why does the Bible feel it's necessary to introduce the names of these characters? There's, there's, there's a couple of things. Let me, let me explain this to you. See, the Bible wasn't written in a way with the authors knowing that one day, thousands and millions and billions of people are gonna read this and study this and develop their faith as a result of it. So what would happen is the writer would write to a specific group of people, to a group of individuals, and the Holy Spirit has decided that we're gonna take these and develop the faith as a result of it. So when Mark was writing this, he wasn't writing this knowing that this was gonna shape the church. He was just writing it to a group of people in Rome. That was the intended audience. So now when we look at the context, he's mentioning very specific people's names. Alexander and Rufus, they were known in the Roman community. They were very well known. Watch this. Tradition holds that after Simon had this experience with Jesus, after carrying the cross and realizing that Jesus had paid the cost, tradition holds that he went back home. He shared the experiences with his sons and they got saved and that they both became bishops in the area of Rome. It's interesting how the way that we carry the cross has the ability of creating an echo effect that creates salvation for the next generation. He carried the cross in such a way that he was able to share that with his sons. And as a result of that, the church continued to grow and God used them for influence because he didn't take his experience to be just a bystander, but he actually got involved and people got saved as a result of it. You know, I, I think about when the weeks that followed after that brutal accident that I saw. Um, I remember going out for a run one day. And as I was coming back home and I was walking up to the front entrance of my neighborhood, notice I said I ran out, but I walked back. I just couldn't make it. I was exhausted. <laughs> just, it was, I think I, made, I ran to the entrance, but the rest of it was just a walk. Strong walk, my arms were moving. But anyway. I'm, I'm reminded of when I was coming back, I saw that they had established a, a roadside memorial where they placed a cross there, we, that's, that's common. And when I was walking up, they were putting it all together, they were decorating it, and, and it was these four young ladies that were there. And ordinarily, I'm the type of personality that I am, I have a tendency to not get involved. I don't ask a lot of questions when I see people in their own space. But I saw these four young ladies there and they were, they were obviously visibly shaken, they were mourning, they were crying, and, and as, I, as I saw them, and I just kind of like nodded and kept walking. I felt the Holy Spirit told me to, to go back. So I turned around and I went back and I said, hey, I'm sorry to interrupt. I don't, I don't mean to intrude, but, but are you guys okay? They were all crying. And so two of the girls had begun to hug and one had turned to me and said, hey, that was her boyfriend is the one that, that died here. And, 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 she, and, and they had just gotten to an argument. And so she's just distraught because she didn't have a chance to apologize. She didn't have a chance to, to make it right. She just feels completely destroyed. In fact, they believe that he was driving away, speeding and lost control of the car because he was so angry. So she's carrying this weight. She's carrying this, this condemnation. She's carrying this guilt. And as I was talking with her, and I said, hey, you know, I just want to let you know that I, I was actually here 
the night when he, when he died. And they, they all kind of looked at me and I said, yeah, I said, you know, I, I came to the scene before, before he had passed away and, um, and I talked with him and I, I don't know specifically what your, what your beliefs are, but, but, I, but I asked him if he wanted to know Jesus and, and he, he prayed and accepted yes. And I just want to let you know that he didn't die alone, but he died at peace. She, she broke down and started crying. And she said, my, my prayer has been that he could just see Jesus. Her, her prayer was just that he could just see Jesus. And, I, and, I, and she said to me, she said, I'm away from God. I've been away from God for a long time. Would you, would you, mind, would you mind praying with me as well? So at the sight of this horrific death, I prayed with her and her three friends, and heaven added four more souls to its kingdom. It's, it's so profound to me how God is able to take these moments of suffering and struggle and setback and somehow work it all together for the good and allow heaven to be populated with people like you and like me. What was meant to be this element of suffering and destruction actually became a symbol of salvation, just like the cross. I don't know what you're carrying. I don't know what the suffering that's going on in your life. I don't know what the setback and struggles are. But what I wanna let you know is that there's nothing that you're going through and there's nothing that you're carrying that Jesus has not considered when he took it to the cross. There's nothing that's going on in your life that God's grace can't reach. There's no setbacks that's going on that the grace of God can't cover. I don't know if those young ladies still go to church. I'm not sure what their situation is, but what I can stand on is the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth and that if you believe in your heart that Jesus died and that he rose from the grave, that you shall be saved. It doesn't talk about a whole lot of behavior modification beyond that. It just says that if you confess and believe, that is the requisite of salvation. Tonight, I don't know what you're in the midst of, but maybe you haven't confessed and maybe you haven't believed, but we wanna give you an opportunity to do that. God will work out the rest of the details. God's grace is sufficient, but I don't want you to leave this environment without having the opportunity to say yes to Jesus and say no to the world. So with every head bowed and with every eye closed, I just wanna ask two simple questions. If you're in here tonight, maybe you would say, Keith, yeah, man, I, I, if, if I'm honest, I'm away from God. There's some seasons in life that I've gone through. Maybe you've walked with God for a period of time, but walked away. Maybe you've never walked with God, but you recognize that today is the day of salvation. If you would like to accept Jesus into your life, to commit your life to Christ, or maybe recommit to your life to Christ, with every head bowed, every eye closed, I wanna respect this moment. Could you signify by raising your hand at the count of three? One, two, three. Amen, amen, amen. Put them up high, put them up high, amen, amen. God bless you guys, amen, 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 amen. You can put those down. I want you all to, to look at me. Everyone, I want you to, to stand on your feet. In a moment, we're gonna go into worship. And, and the worship team is gonna allow us to en encounter the, the presence of God. 
But what I also recognize is that in this room, there are individuals who need to say yes to Jesus. But there's also others in here that just need to have some relief because the cross that they're carrying is riddled with condemnation, is riddled with a weight that they feel that they can't carry on their own. You may feel like a bystander in the midst of your own life. And I wanna pray for you as well. So here's what we wanna do. If you raise your hand for salvation, but also if you just wanna receive prayer, I wanna invite you to come down to this altar right now. Just come down to this altar right now. Church, let's put our hands together for those who are saying yes to Jesus, for those who are making a step forward, for those who are coming down boldly. Keep on clapping, keep on clapping. praying for this for quite some time and I want to encourage all of you whether you're watching online maybe you're you didn't make it down here but there's this thing in social psychology called the bystander effect and what the bystander effect is it's, it's actually interesting how it works but what the bystander effect is it's when if an event happens in front, in front of a large crowd of people you're actually less likely to get any help in fact, if something were to happen to you, it's better that it happens in a smaller audience. Because if it happens in a large audience, everybody begins to develop this, well, somebody will do it mentality. Somebody will get involved mentality. That's what the bystander effect is. And they've done so many studies and research on this. And what's interesting is, in, in London, they found one exception to it. So watch this. When they were in London and they did this research, they had a guy who was dressed like a bum. And as he laid out in his bum apparel, crying out with anguish and pain, that more than 20 minutes passed and people looked at him, they talked about it, they whispered about it, but no one actually went to help the man. Well, that very same man went back into the dressing room, he put on garments that everybody else was wearing, he actually had a suit on, and he put on the exact same thing, and he laid in the exact same spot 30 minutes later, and people came and responded to him within six seconds. Now, what happens that when we see someone who's in a broken down condition that no one wants to help them, but because he was dressed the right way, people did want to help him. I look at it as the contrast with what religion has done. In the past, religion has done a great job at looking at the brokenness of people and walking over them, talking about them, looking at them, pointing fingers at them, but actually not doing anything to actually help them. But the Bible tells us in Isaiah 64 that our righteousness is as filthy rags. So what Jesus did is that he came down and he took the bum apparel that we have with our humanity and with our sin. He placed it on himself. He dealt with the ridicule and rejection from religion. He dealt with all the pain and suffering and he took it all to the cross so that we could wear the suit of righteousness so that we can get the support that we need. Jesus wasn't a bystander in our situation, but he dressed just like us so that he could pull us out of it. And I don't know where you're at today, 
But what I wanna let you know is that Jesus is not a bystander in your situation, but he's putting on your garments and he's dressing like you and he's bringing freedom to your situation and he's bringing healing. So as a family, I want us all to pray this prayer together. Many are praying this prayer for the first time. And after that, we're gonna, we're gonna pray for everyone. But I want us all to repeat this first. Lord Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I believe that you died on the cross and that you rose from the grave. And because of that, I am saved. I am healed. I am forgiven. Lord Jesus, fill me with your spirit. Amen. I wanna pray for you guys now. Can we all lift our hands up as a sign of surrender to God? And I wanna pray for you right where you are. Heavenly Father God, I thank you for your people. Lord, I thank you for the grace that's available to us, God, that we didn't deserve, Father, that we did nothing to deserve it. But Father, it was your unmerited favor. It was you not being a bystander with our brokenness and our struggle that allowed you to put on the garments of humanity, to step in the midst of our situation and take the condemnation and the guilt and to grant us freedom, to allow us to know that we are forgiven. Lord Jesus, somebody in here tonight just needs to hear the words, you are forgiven, you are healed, you are set free. There is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, Father, I pray that we have certainty about who you are so we have clarity about who we are, Father. I pray that we settle the faith issue right now and that we can walk in boldness and confidence and strength and the anointing of what you called us to be, Father. God, I pray for those of us who feel that time is passing us by, that life is passing us by, that opportunities are passing us by, but Father, allowing us to know to be faithful, to be diligent, to autograph our work with excellence and watch what you do as a result of it. Heavenly Father, God, I pray for those of us, God, that are struggling in our faith, that you meet us where we are. Father, I pray for healing. I pray for breakthrough. I pray for miracles. I pray for divine revelation. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.